pray for our time in the word and fellowship today. Father, we do come to you with a grateful heart this morning, God. Father, yes, that Lord. we are here in this time, in this place. Father, it is not happenstance, but it is your divine will, God. And we as your people are living out your will. So, Father, I pray, God, that I, there would be nothing that would come to hinder what you are doing in this room and in this home today, God. I pray for all who would come in, God, and all who would hear. I pray, God, that scales would fall from the eyes, Father, that chains would be broken in the name of Jesus, God, that freedom and victory would come, Father. Father, that we would humbly bow our knee, God, and that we would repent, Lord, and be restored and leave with joy and, and fulfillment in the celebration of not just the the death of your son, but Father, for his resurrection, because yes, his resurrection makes it all true, Father. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Father, we thank you, God, that you're not man that you should lie. God, that you are faithful to your word. God, that you're patient, that you're slow to anger, that you're full of mercy, and it's your desire that none should perish. Father, you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son Jesus, God, that you are not stiff-arming us, but God, that you are pursuing us. That we might turn from our wicked ways and turn to you, the author of life, God, there's nothing in this temporal world that could ever satisfy us. Everything's passing away. But God, you are eternal. You are the eternal God. So help us, Lord. Help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. To fix our eyes upon him the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let us walk upright amongst a a wicked and perverse generation and boldly declare the gospel of Jesus. Oh, there's work to be done, Father. So, Lord, may we be effective laborers in your harvest. Let us not grow weary in doing good, Father. Let us not give up and faint. Oh, but God, equip us, Holy Spirit, that we may be strengthened this day to go forth from this place and, Father, live for you. (laughs) To humble ourselves, to, to serve others. to love others. God, that we would be the standard of righteousness that is raised up because of Christ in us. So, Father, I thank you yet for another opportunity to gather, Lord, to to hear your word. I pray, God, again, that we just wouldn't be hearers of the word, but, God, that we would be doers of it that we would not be those who would fall away and begin to follow doctrines of demons. No, God, that we would be rooted in Christ, fully secured in Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for that hope. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning. Application, sustained effort, hard work, comes from the word apply. 
to give one's full attention to a task to work hard. Again, sustained effort. I love what it says there, to give one's full attention. We can't be double-minded. We can't be in today and out tomorrow. No, this is sustained effort. There's work in which we are to do. And something I keep encouraging us is don't get confused that your salvation's not based on works. Your salvation's based on what Christ has accomplished. But because of what Christ has accomplished, works come forth. Because we're to be the people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. Our lives are to be producing fruit, lasting fruit. Not fruit that then produces and dries up and withers, but no lasting fruit in our lives. Applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book. An impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, Whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I mean, listen to that promise from God's word. When we apply the Bible, God himself is with us. The degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the Word applies is not enough. We must act, actually apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's Word to come to life in our lives. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study, and it also serves to sharpen our discernment. And again, we've heard this now for many months, ultimately helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. This is how we're to be living. If we're calling ourselves Christians, we are to be maturing, we're to be growing. Our level of discernment is growing and maturing, like we're recognizing the difference between good and evil, and we're not settling for the evil. We're just not continually to give ourselves over to it. But no, that when we recognize and we can discern what is right and what is good, what is pure, what is holy, this is the way in which we are going. Not in and of our own efforts, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a new life. A new life in Christ. It's not, we are, it's not that we're adding Christ to our lives because we reckon ourselves dead to ourselves, but alive in Christ. And now how then shall we live? And I was thinking about it this week. And I was like, God, what is going on? I don't know about you. But when you see what's happening in ministries, when you, when you see what happened, what's happening in churches, when you see Christians online, when you see what's going on, I'm not even just talking about the world, because it's chaotic in and of itself. But when we understand that signs and the times and the days in which we are living, it's chaotic out there, but it's starting to come in, and the church is growing even more and more chaotic. 
It's getting more and more unstable everywhere. Christians are devouring each other. Truth is not even being upheld any longer. The, the level of the demonic activity that has taken hold in the church, it's always been there. But it is taking hold. It is rising up in the pulpits. And they're not even hiding themselves anymore. They're very open to preach. And so when the Bible warns us that in the last days, before Jesus returns, there's going to be a great falling away. And that people are going to begin to follow, follow doctrines of demons, teachings of demons. They're going to hold a form of religion, but they're going to deny the power of God to transform. And so when you see all this chaos and, 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 and denominations and ministries and Christians and they're debating on what's this and what's that and this and that and this and that, and they've lost the very nature of who Christ is. And I go, God, help us. What is going on? It can get overwhelming at times. Where you're like, what is this? And then as I was sitting and praying this throughout this week, I said, Lord, we can't apply what we don't have. And this is the reality. There are a, a numerous amount of people sitting in churches all throughout the earth. But what's happening? But they're not applying. We're, we're not applying the truth of God's word. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to, 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 to have his way in us and through us. We're not maturing because we're not applying because we're actually not maintaining what we've been given. And so we can't apply what we don't have. I want you to go to Luke. We've heard this before. Luke chapter 8. It's a parable that Jesus spoke about. And I've kind of just been honed in on it this week. I've preached on it multiple times over the years. But I'm genuinely concerned for us Chapter 8 of Luke, verse 4 through 21. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he said this, he called out anyone. This is Jesus, you all. 
Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Jesus. The seeds that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Application. What are you doing with what you're hearing? We can't apply what we don't have. If, if we're sit, sitting in church and we're hearing messages and then we're just allowing life, allowing the enemy, allowing our circumstances to snatch it out, to choke it out, then what are we doing? If we're Christians, we are to be those who have a good soil. And I've encouraged us over the years I don't know how you prepare yourself when you're coming to to gather together to to open up the word when fellowship rather you're with here or rather you're just sitting at home in your own personal devotion or rather you're sitting with the friend you know just going through the word together but you ought to not just take it lightly and just show up like there is a war going on And you are to be actively participating as a child of God, upholding the banner of Christ. And you should not take it for granted that you're coming just to hear the word. No, you ought to be praying. Because in and of ourselves, we're not going to understand it. But we have been given the right to, to have understanding, to have wisdom, if we're truly in Christ. And so we ought to start applying truth to our lives we ought, to be, we ought to be praying and saying, Holy Spirit, plow up my heart. I want my heart to be of good soil. I want, I want the seed to, to take root. I want my life to, to begin to represent Christ in His kingdom. Like I want to mature. I want to grow. I want to, be, I want to live a life, a Christian life that is actually impacting those around me. 
I know I'm going to be hated. I know I'm going to go through trial and tribulation. I know in this world that I will have trouble, but my God, you said to be of good cheer. And in and of myself, I cannot have that good cheer, but I know that you can sustain it, sustain me and give it to me. See, it's a life dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so I don't, again, I keep encouraging. I don't know how you're talking to yourself. I don't know, I don't know what you're doing to, 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 to do the sustained effort that's needed as a Christian to apply the truth of God's word to your life. These are Jesus' words. And then he goes on, he tells this other parable. No one lights a lamp verse 16, and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. No, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. And here, Jesus' words. So pay attention to how you hear. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But to those who are not listening, even what they think they understand, my God, will be taken away from them. I mean, come on. These are Jesus' words. And we just settle. We just, we just allow our flesh, the enemy, the world system, just drag us and run us through the muck and mire. When Jesus has lifted us up out of it with his righteous right hand, he set us upon the rock which is Christ. He has cleansed us by his blood. He's empowered us with this Holy Spirit. The same power that raised him up from the dead is within us. And yet this is how we're living. Hiding our light. Lest we offend anybody. Well, I don't want to look too holy. I don't want to come across too abrupt to them. We make all these excuses. Listen, everyone else out there that believes in what they believe in, they are loud and proud. No matter what they are, who they are, what they believe they are. Where are the Christians that are standing for truth? That are loving, that are serving. That are beginning to to be transformed because it's a process. You're not perfected until you're with them. But there ought to be some transformation going on in your life. These are Jesus' words. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But to those who are not listening, even what they think they understand, will be taken away from them. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. And it's to honor Christ in His Word. This is the living word of Christ. We just can't settle any longer 
to sit in the back. <laughs> and we got to start taking our position in this generation as Christians and begin to be about our Father's business because we can see what's happening. I mean, I keep telling y'all, you can't make up what's happening out there. Things, signs, and I mean, it's just, you really can't any longer. You can't just look at what you see every single day and think that, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. No, it's a huge deal. And you ought to be, if you're a Christian, you ought to be excited. Because again, I keep reminding us that we were purposed for this generation. We were purposed for this level of darkness to be the light. We were purposed by God himself for such a time as this to be about our Father's business, to proclaim his goodness, to declare each and every single day as you're going through your day that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That God, here I am, my life is no longer my own. I belong to Christ and Christ alone. I want to set my affections upon Christ. Listen, if your affections are not on Christ, you'll never be satisfied with him. And when you're not satisfied, in, totally satisfied in Christ, oh, you're going to be desiring everything that's out here. You're going to set your affections on temporal things, temporal people, temporal relationships, temporal wants and needs that are here today, gone tomorrow. We weren't created to be enslaved to the temporal. Listen, you all, we have to wake up. We have to wake up. We have to wake up. Awake, awake, oh sleeper. No, it's time to mature. It's time to grow. It's time to know who he is and to know who we are in Christ and what he has called us to. Listen, that sin nature is still encased in you. <laughs> but it's not to be mastering you any longer. As a Christian, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but when you do, sin does not become your master again. No, you get up, you repent. You understand who Christ is, who you are, and what you've been given. And so we don't make excuses and we don't take sin lightly. No. Like we war against it. Because as the passions and the desires of this world system tries to feed our affections and our desires from within, the level of warfare is rising up. Rising up. I mean, really, you, you just can't make it up any longer. What's going on out there? And if you're not rooted in Christ, you're going to be swept away with it. 
And there's multitudes of people sitting in churches today swept away with it. Because it's now standing in its pulpits. Teaching it. And they're all applauding. And yet God's wrath is coming. God's wrath. This weird, twisted gospel that's being preached out there that Jesus has done away with the Father is fascinating. Because it's not even biblical. But yet they'll use this word and manipulate it and twist it. Just because someone opens up a Bible or, or, or spouts out scriptures here and there doesn't mean it's true. Unless... It agrees with Genesis all the way through Revelation. Because you can pick and choose what you want. And that's how I told you all these other religions that are out there is formed. They have a level of truth in them. It's just not the whole counsel. It's just not the whole truth. I mean, we have to wake up to see what we're up against. And you think you're just going to throw yourself up out of bed and just humdrum through your day. And think that's pleasing God. That's not pleasing God. There's a way in which we're to live, you all. And we've got to start applying God's truth. We've got to start listening. We've got to start doing what our part, (laughs) as the Holy Spirit's leading us. Because remember what the Bible says. We're to walk habitually in the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's just not, oh, that's a good word. That's a nice phrase. No, that's how you're to be living. Walking in the Spirit. Well, I don't know what that looks like. Why don't you know? Especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. There's a way, again, you are called to live. Like, See, you're going to be held accountable to God. Again, the wrath of God is held back. But there's an appointed hour. There's an appointed hour. And it's coming. And those who are not in Christ. For eternity. For eternity. Are going to be swallowed up. In hell. And no way out. Eternity. Shh, 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 shh. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. We don't want to hear that. But do you realize Jesus talked a lot about it? That's why he came. Remember, he, he says, I didn't come to the world to judge the world because the world already stands condemned. Judgment's coming. In fact, it's here now. The wrath is coming. No, no, I came to save you. I came to save you. I came to deliver you. I came to restore you back to your Father, back to your Creator. And we just want to sing Kumbaya. Play like we're saved. Hold a weird, warp, false sense of security. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. That's, a, that's mocking God. 
but you don't see that. I mean, I've been studying, again, through the Old Testament. I mean, we're doing our own, but in my own time, I'm just studying through the Bible, and man, I, I just go, man, God, help us. Jesus, like his mercy is so great towards us. Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, from the beginning, Adam and Eve, did God really say? Mm-hmm. Doubt God, doubt God. And you start doubting God, watch how you start living. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Israelites, for God's sake, one, one day they're in, <laughs> and then the next day, they're at the other temples, mm-hmm. worshiping Baal, bringing in all these idols, <laughs> doing all of these crazy things, sacrificing their children. <clears throat> I mean, just God help us. And God is gracious and God is kind and God is pleased that all, even through from the beginning, he has been revealing himself because again, his plan and his purpose was the cross. It was the resurrected Christ. Love was going to be displayed to all. And now in the New Testament, God, if you haven't read the book of Hebrews, Lord mercy, would you just sit this week, that's your homework, go sit down with the book of Hebrews and read it. God, if there's not, I mean, all of it is for today, this whole Genesis to Revelation. But I'm telling you, Hebrews, I'm like, Jesus, if that book, if that living word of God doesn't pierce your heart this week, God help you. Like, what on earth? What on earth? Like, have you not read it? (laughs) Like, don't just rush through it. Sit down with it. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten your heart and your mind to the reading of it. And hear what it's saying. God help us. God help us. So application is vital, you are, you all. We must be applying what we're hearing. We must do what it's saying. There is a way in which we're to live. Go to 1 John 1.7. These two scriptures are just, again, to encourage you to apply. This year I'm stuck on application. Not only just for you all, but for myself. Chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 7. Actually, let's do... Jesus, Jesus. Let's do first one. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 5 through 6. Well, first one, I'm sorry, chapter 1, 5, verse 10, and then chapter 2, 1 through 6. First John. Here we go. This is a message we heard from who? Jesus. And now declared to you, God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. Oh, how this generation needs to hear that. 
We're not lying if we, I'm sorry, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. (laughs) But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, listen to this, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we, listen to this, confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And this isn't just a one-time little prayer. Repentance is a lifestyle as a Christian. It's a lifestyle. So my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. This picture of application, remember, obedience is the fruit of application. So we can be sure, we can have that certainty, you all, that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God, my Jesus, hear this, should live their lives as Jesus did. This is the standard for the church. This is how you're to be living. This is what you're going to be. When you stand before God, you're going to give an account to. Are you living a life naming his name, but mocking him the same? Oh, I'm living for Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian, but yet there's nothing in your life. There's nothing in your life. That actually reveals that to be true. The Bible says you're a liar. That's what the Word of God calls you. You don't have to worry about other people in the church calling you that. The Word of God calls you it. You've been deceived. You've been swept away. God is light, you all. And in him there is no darkness. Go to Hebrews. Speaking <laughs> of Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Whoo, Hebrews 12. Oh, yeah, Hebrews 12, verse 1.
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily tricks us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let's do verse 2. How do we do that, you all? Well, verse 2 tells you. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, God, I love that, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We're to strip off, throw off the weight that so easily entangles us, the sin. And then we're to run with endurance the race that God has set for us. So how do we do this? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the champion. He's the one who initiated this. And he's the one who says, I will perfect what I called you to. And that's why we are to be surrendered to him. We're to be continually laid down our idols. You don't want to be one who's led astray. That's deceived. That's just still living for themselves. Desirous of all this temporal stuff. And not satisfied fully and completely in Christ, you all. I've said it again. I'm not surprised when I hear Christians, Christian leaders, people who once professed faith, now they're not. I'm not surprised that they've walked away My heart grieves. I'm not surprised. But I've warned you all, for one to do that, like you have to look at the empty tomb, you have to look at the cross, and you have to say to your very own soul that it wasn't enough. That it wasn't enough. God help us. There's been multiple times over the 25 years that I've I've been in Christ. Man, there's been times where I'm like, God, it's too much. I'd rather just, just not even be with you. I'd rather just run amok. But let me tell you, when you're standing in front of that empty tomb... When you're looking upon that cross, you say, but you did all that for me? You did all that for me? Like, you love me? Like, oh, God. (laughs) I shared with y'all before that one night where I had my escape plan. I was gone. I was leaving. As soon as my hand goes to turn the doorknob, the Holy Spirit hit me. What are you doing, living? And I'm, I gave all my complaints to God. He didn't ask me for my complaints. He asked me, what was I doing living? Living. 
doing living, you all? If you're saying you're in Christ, you're to reckon yourself dead and alive to Christ. But I look at these people and look at these people that have turned and gone back to whatever it was before. <clears throat> and that's what they had to do. Like, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And I go, oh, God, God, God. Jesus. What a tormented place to live. <clears throat> yeah. To once tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And then flip over the table and say, no, I don't want what you have. I'm going to go back to that which was destroying me. For what, you all? For what? So God help us. God help us to continue to apply the truth of God's word as the Spirit of God is working within us. But listen, if you're not a Christian, if all you're doing is holding a form, if all of this is foreign to you, if all of this is like, what? Like, maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe it's time to really hear the voice of the true God, the author and the giver of life, who's pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus, that you humble yourself, that you see that you are a sinner, and that you repent, and then you turn and you receive. And you realize he's initiated this, that I believe and confess, not of my own understanding, but because God is pleased to reveal himself to me, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he's risen from the dead. And now you are born again of a new nature. The old is dead. And now you're alive in Christ. In Christ. Oh, that we will know our God, you all. The attributes of God. We've learned many over the past few weeks. This is what we've heard so far. God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. God is immutable. He never changes. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. God is wise. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. God is faithful. He is infinitely, unchangingly true. God is good. He is infinitely, unchangingly kind and full of goodwill. God is just. He is infinitely, unchangingly right and perfect in all He does. The, the characteristics of our God. That we would know Him. Listen to today's, this week's attribute. God is merciful. Yes. He is infinitely, unchangeably, compassionate and kind. This is our God. It says from Romans 9, verse 15 through 16. God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. 
As noted above, God's mercy is inseparable from his justness. He is infinitely, unchangeably, unfailingly merciful, forgiving, loving, kind towards us. He is inexhaustibly, actively compassionate. His mercy is also undeserved by us. Spurgeon writes that it is undeserved mercy, as indeed all true mercy must be. For deserved mercy is only a misnomer for justice. There was no right on the sinner's part to the saving mercy of the Most High God. Had the rebel been doomed at once to eternal fire, he would have justly merited the doom. And if delivered from wrath, sovereign love alone has found a cause. And there was none in the sinner himself. Without the mercy of God, we would have no hope of heaven. Because of our disobedient hearts, we deserve death. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But because of mercy, we don't get what we deserve. Instead, because of the mercy of God, we get life through faith in Christ. Tozer writes this about the mercy of God. As judgment is God's justice confronting moral iniquity, so mercy is the goodness of God confronting human suffering and guilt. Were there no guilt in the world, no pain, no tears, God would yet be infinitely merciful. But his mercy might well remain hidden in his heart, unknown to the created universe. No voice would be raised to celebrate the mercy of which none felt the need. It is human misery and sin that call forth the divine mercy. This is our God, you all. He's merciful. The Heidelberg Catechism. It's the final part of the Heidelberg Catechism. We wrap it up today. I would encourage you to have this tool accessible to you. And that you would go back and you would begin to reread it. Go through the scriptures. It's a tool that sharpens your discernment. It gives you understanding and knowledge so that you're able to defend the faith. But we conclude the Heidelberg Catechism with the Lord's Day 52, still in the Lord's Day, I mean the Lord's Prayer. And here are three questions. What does the sixth petition mean? And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one means. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not go down to defeat and to the spiritual struggle but may firmly firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. Mm. The second question, what does your conclusion to this prayer mean? For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever means, we have made all these petitions of you because, as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good, Mm. and because your holy name, and that we ourselves should receive all praise forever. Finally, what does the little word amen express? Amen means, this shall truly and surely be, 
it is even more sure that God listens to my prayer that, than that I really desire what to pray for. Mm-hmm. Listen, you all, it's a great tool. I've held it up for you for over a year. I do pray that you would, again, keep it somewhere. You can go, you can look up the link for it, and it will be a tool that you would refer back to. Before we go on in our times of Scripture, we're going to take communion. And I pray that as the song is sung over us, that we would prepare our hearts to take it in remembrance of Him.
you pray over the bread? Father, in the the stillness and the quietness of this moment, we hold this cup in our hands, and we know that it represents your blood. Jesus' blood was spilled because you laid your life down. And because you laid your life down, we're called to lay our lives down. And we're also called to do this in remembrance of that sacrifice so that we can cling close to you and so that we can honor you in everything that we say and everything that we do. In Jesus' name. First Chronicles is where we're heading. Chapter 22, verse 1 through 23. So, Carrie, go get that ready. What chapter again? Chapter 22 through 23. Playing from Carrie's iPhone. The temple of the Lord God and the place of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. Preparations for the temple. So David gave orders to call together the foreigners living in Israel, and he assigned them the task of preparing finished stone for building the temple of God. David provided large amounts of iron for the nails that would be needed for the doors in the gates and for the clamps, and he gave more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided innumerable cedar logs, for the men of Tyre and Sidon had brought vast amounts of cedar to David. David said, My son Solomon is still young and inexperienced, and since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. Then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, You have killed many men in the battles you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies and all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. And I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. 
And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I have also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to assist Solomon in this project. The Lord your God is with you, he declared. He has given you peace with the surrounding nations. He has handed them over to me, and they are now subject to the Lord his people. Now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you can bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy vessels of God into the temple built to honor the Lord's name. Chapter 23. Duties of the Levites. When David was an old man, he appointed his son Solomon to be king over Israel. David summoned all the leaders of Israel together with the priests and Levites. All the Levites who were 30 years old or older were counted, and the total came to 38,000. Then David said, From all the Levites, 24,000 will supervise the work at the temple of the Lord. Another 6,000 will serve as officials and judges. Another 4,000 will work as gatekeepers, and 4,000 will praise the Lord with the musical instruments I have made. Then David divided the Levites into divisions named after the clans descended from the three sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The Gershonites. The Gershonite family units were defined by their lines of descent from Libni and Shimei, the sons of Gershon. Three of the descendants of Libni were Jehiel, the family leader, Zetham, and Joel. These were the leaders of the family of Libni. Three of the descendants of Shimei were Shelemoth, Haziel, and Haran. Four other descendants of Shimei were Jehath, Ziza, Jeush, and Beriah. Jehath was the family leader, and Ziza was next. Jeush and Beriah were counted as a single family, because neither had many sons. The Kohathites. Four of the descendants of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The sons of Amram were Aaron and Moses. Aaron and his descendants were set apart to dedicate the most holy things, to offer sacrifices in the Lord's presence, to serve the Lord, and to pronounce blessings in his name forever. As for Moses, the man of God, his sons were included with the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses were Gershom and Eliezer. The descendants of Gershom included Shibol, the family leader. Eliezer had only one son, Rehabiah, the family leader. Rehabiah had numerous descendants. The descendants of Izhar included Shelmeth, the family leader. The descendants of Hebron included Jeriah, the family leader, Amariah, the second, Jehaziel, the third, and Jechamim, the fourth. The descendants of Uziel included Micah, the family leader, and Ishiah, the second. The Merarites. The descendants of Merari included Malai and Mushai. The sons of Malai were Eleazar and Kish. 
Eliezer died with no sons, only daughters. His daughters married their cousins, the sons of Kish. Three of the descendants of Mushai were Malai, Eder, and Jeremoth. These were the descendants of Levi by clans, the leaders of their family groups registered carefully by name. Each had to be 20 years old or older to qualify for service in the house of the Lord. For David said, The Lord, the God of Israel, has given us peace, and he will always live in Jerusalem. Now the Levites will no longer need to carry the tabernacle and its furnishings from place to place. In accordance with David's final instructions, all the Levites 20 years old or older were registered for service. The work of the Levites was to assist the priests, the descendants of Aaron, as they served at the house of the Lord. They also took care of the courtyards and side rooms, helped perform the ceremonies of purification, and served in many other ways in the house of God. They were in charge of the sacred bread that was set out on the table, the choice flour for the grain offerings, the wafers made without yeast, the cakes cooked in olive oil, and the other mixed breads. They were also responsible to check all the weights and measures. And each morning and evening they stood before the Lord to sing songs of thanks and praise to Him. They assisted with the burnt offerings that were presented to the Lord on Sabbath days, at new moon celebrations, and at all the appointed festivals. The required Levites served in the Lord's presence at all times, following all the procedures they had been given. And so, under the supervision of the priests, the Levites watched over the tabernacle and the temple and faithfully carried out their duties of service at the house of the Lord. All right, so Chronicles, again, it's written to the people of Israel that's coming out of exile and brought back into their land. But they're coming back as a people with no identity. All they know is what it is to be a slave. Yet again, they find themselves there. But God, but God raised up this chronicler to pin these instructions to these people that they would remember who they are because they know who their God is and what God has instructed them as his people. And so, oh, how I pray for us and this new covenant with Christ, that we are people that have come out of exile, come out of enslavement to the flesh, the master being Satan. But we have been free. If you're in Christ, you have been freed, you have been liberated, and now you're brought in to a land that you have no understanding of, but now it's time to hear of it. And the way you gain understanding of wisdom is understanding, first and foremost, who it belongs to. God, you all. God. Oh, how we need to know him. And in that, we will truly begin to understand our identity in him. Here's a few notes that I want you to take away from the reading there. Chapter 22, verse 1. Here's a commentary on it. This is a climatic ending of the census episode. The discovery of the central permanent place of Israel's worship was dramatic and a glorious event. It presented God resting with his people in the promised land. The chronicler's message was clear. The people must reestablish the temple in Jerusalem after exile. It is also a foreshadowing. Because remember, whenever you read the Old Testament, that's what it's doing. It's foreshadowing Christ. It's pointing to Christ. And so as we're reading that, in these, so 
It is also a foreshadowing of the deeper reality of Christ inhabiting his people in these final days. And it is symbolic of God being fully with his people in the age to come. Again, God's plan, God's purpose. From the beginning, for all eternity, he will have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. Commentary from chapter 22, verse 8 through 10. A man of war cannot build a house of peace. The temple was the place where God lived among his people and where eventually all the nations were to come. The ideal that a man of war like David would build a temple in a city whose name is rooted in the Hebrew word for peace created tension. God resolved that Solomon, whose name is also rooted in the Hebrew word peace, would be the one to build such a monumental monument to peace. Christ came as a man of peace, but will come again as a warrior, signaling there is a time of peace and war in God's ways. And finally, chapter 22, verse 12 through 13. This is a great commentary note to take away, tuck in your heart. David's advice to Solomon is reminiscent of God's charge to Joshua. The chronicler needed God's people in his day to be strong and courageous. And as it is with us today, we as the church, the bride of Christ, we are to be strong and courageous. Go to Romans 3. That's where we're heading. (coughs) Romans 3, verse 9 through 31 is where we're heading. Paul, again, is addressing this church in Rome. It is a mix of Jews who have come to Christ and Gentiles that have come to Christ. We've already opened up the book. We saw God's anger at sin. We saw God's judgment at sin. We see, again, Paul's exposing the the knowledge of the Jews, their knowledge of the law, and really what the law is to be doing. And we're going to see that a little bit more today. But we also, we've heard the theme of God is remaining faithful. And so we're going to pick up in verse 9. Oh, yes, Lord. Well then, this is Paul. Should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we had already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the laws applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. God, I wish y'all would circle that, highlight that, just sit on that throughout that week, this week. (laughs) What's the purpose of the law? To keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. 
The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's the law. That's the Ten Commandments. The Jews took such pride in following the law. They became very religious. The enemy twisted it and turned it to be something it was never meant to be. The law would never would never bring forth salvation. Christ brings forth salvation. Then you say, well, what's the purpose of the law? Well, we just heard what the purpose was. To show us our need for a Savior. If there were never any rules, if you were never instructed on what was wrong, how would you know what you're, that you were wrong? So in God's divine time, he gave Moses these laws. And these laws, again, were not meant to bring forth salvation. They were meant to point to the one, the Messiah, who would come and not do away with the law, but fulfill the law. The law is needed to to expose our hearts. Rather, you're a Jew or a Gentile. (laughs) We're sinners. Before Christ. We need Christ. We need salvation. Not through the, the law, but through the one who came to fulfill the law. The, to the, for the one who the law was pointing to. That's the good news, you all. That's the good news. And again, we don't do away with the law. Because in Christ, the law is fulfilled. And what is your position as a Christian now? What does the Bible say in the New Testament? Your position is in Christ. You are seated with Christ. So I don't know if you're getting up every day understanding what that means for your life. You ought to. Because it'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you live. I'm not doing away with the law. Now I'm understanding the law now. Because I know Christ. And I thank God for Christ who has fulfilled the law. And in Him, I don't have to give in and give over to all the stuff that's out there. I don't have to strive and work so hard just to maintain. No. His burden is light and His yoke is easy. And he's given us everything we need to live a godly life, you all. Oh yes, the law is still intact because Christ is resurrected. (laughs) So again, we're not doing away with the law, but we just see, wow, the law is finally fulfilled. Because when I have all that measurements, when I have all this set before me, I see in myself, I can't do that. Wait, there's one? Who has done it. And through him. Now I have access to the one who created me. To the one who spoke the law. In hopes. That I would turn to him. And be saved. See if you're not in Christ. Then you're guilty. You're guilty of all of that. You're a sinner. You're doomed. You're ruined. You're wicked. And that's a position you choose to maintain because you refuse the one who came to fulfill it. Yes. 
use you all. And this is why we can go out and preach and share it with others. Jesus. Verse 21. But now God, come on, has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Again, the Messiah, Christ, prophesied, foreshadowed, spoken about from the beginning. We are made right with God for placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. And I don't know why everyone just didn't say, Amen! Do you understand if you're truly in Christ, you have been free from the penalty of sin. You're not worrying about his wrath because you are swallowed up in his love. You're not guilty any longer before the living God. Your shame and guilt and condemnation has been removed because of Christ. Do you understand you've been liberated? And there's a level of freedom in which you walk in now. Because this world is not your home. You are looking forward to His eternal kingdom that is coming. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair. Here, hear more about this God. Because again, I keep encouraging, you can't learn about God off TikTok. You can't learn about God and Christ through the culture. You learn about God and Christ Jesus through his word. Listen. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past for he was looking ahead and including them and what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair, all that we would know him and just. There's no error found in him, you all. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Jesus. Can we then boast, he says to the church, that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, God, after all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God. And he makes people right with himself only by faith. 
whether they are Jew, Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith, oh, come on, do we truly fulfill the law, you all. Man, there's so much there. I would encourage you to go sit in it. Meditate upon it. Ask the Holy Spirit for insight and understanding to, the, to, to His direction in your life if you're truly a believer. Remember, I keep telling you, and we just read it here, but the Bible tells us if you have a belief and a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead, in that belief and that confession, you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior whom God Himself provided through Christ, And if that becomes your belief and your confession, it's not something that you conjure up yourself or you just flippantly say it. No, no, no. If it's truly the very depth of your being, it is revealed to you because God is pleased to reveal himself to you, to swallow you up in his love so that you will not be swallowed up in his wrath. And so that when it becomes your belief and your confession, that is your foundation and you're not moved off of it. No matter what on earth your flesh brings up what the world presents or what this realm here tries against you. That you can stand in the assurance that you know your God. I don't care what happens around me. I'm not going to be moved. I understand I'm going to go through circumstances. I understand this life will try to drain every ounce of energy within me. But I'm in Christ. And upon this solid rock I stand. And in Christ, and in Christ, I say, I don't know if you're saying things out loud. I don't know why we as the church, if we're saying this is whom we believe in, and this is our bold confession that he rose from the dead, do you realize what you're saying if you're saying you believe that he rose from the dead? And then if you, you'll know if you really realize what you're saying by depending on how you're living. Your life is not to make a mockery of the resurrected Christ. Now, if you want to keep him on the cross, live however the hell you want. Live however you want. Because your God is still dead. But when you announce that, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I go to church, but your life does not represent a risen Savior, like I read earlier, the Bible says you're a liar. And there's no truth in you. And you understand the wrath that is coming for you. And it's not to scare you. I'm scared of God. It's just the reality. So when you boldly confess and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead, this is your foundation of the newness of life because God has awakened you. And not only has he awakened you, you have been rebirthed. You were born again of the Spirit of God. And now you're living in a way that honors the one in whom you say is your God. He is your King and King and Lord of Lords. Go to Psalm. Psalm 12, verse 1 through 8. Oh, I pray that you're excited. (laughs) 
Psalm 12. A psalm from David. Again, the book of Psalms, you all. Oh, how I pray that the word of God, that your, that your, your hunger for it is, is just growing. Uh, we're never going to be full. It's never like you're going to sit down like I'm full, like you do with a plate of food. No, you're constantly just hungry. Like, ah, oh, God, there's so much more. Well, I've read it 10 times, or it doesn't matter. Read the 11th time, and there's more still there for you. <laughs> Again, I don't know if you have a zeal for the things of God and for the truth of God. But listen to the psalm that was penned, and the psalmist, oh God, they're so transparent. And there's a way in which we can live and, and recognize how important it is to, to journal, to, to worship, to press in, even when things aren't making us or feeling us or that we're feeling like we really want to. That's when you really need to do it. Help, O oh Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. God, if this isn't for our day and age, the faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. May the Lord cut off their flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. I don't know how you're praying today. Pray like David. May the Lord cut off their flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. They say, we will lie to our heart's content. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless. That's how the Lord replies. And I have heard the groans of the poor. Oh, look at this good news that's coming, you all. Now I, who, God, the Lord, will rise up to rescue them. As they have longed, I circle that, Highlight that. Are you longing for me to do? The Lord's promises are pure. Like silver refined in a furnace. Purified seven times over. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed. Preserving them forever from this lying generation. Even though the wicked strut about. And evil is praised throughout the land. We still know our God. And he hasn't turned his back on us, you all. Everything is working towards what he has promised. Ah, go to Proverbs. Jesus. Proverbs 19. Thirteen and fourteen, two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs nineteen. A foolish child is a calamity to a father. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping. Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. You all, there is a way in which we are called to live, and it is to honor Christ. In Christ alone. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close us in prayer.
front of man that he would change his mind. And it goes on to encourage us in this, that if he said it, he's going to do it. If he spoke it, he will fulfill it. So I don't know what tomorrow has to bring, but I know this. If he tells us to march around our Jericho, those walls are coming down. Oh, yes, if he said it.